The piece of music we're listening to is called Fancy a Stroll. It's a mid-tempo soundtrack with roots in the British rock of the 1960s, but suggests something darker, more mysterious and theatrical. You're listening to How I Make Music, a weekly podcast for the musically curious to go behind the scenes of composition for storytelling in a digital era. Every Wednesday, we break apart one of my own compositions and investigate the stories and insights into how it was made and its effect on listening ears. My name is John Bartman. I'm a music composer from South Africa, and this is How I Make Music. Welcome back to How I Make Music, episode 42, and thanks again for joining me. Regular listeners of the show know that you're welcome to leave a comment on YouTube. Search YouTube for How I Make Music, and you'll find me there. I welcome your feedback. I love hearing from you. This week's soundtrack is called Fancy a Stroll, and it's a British rock soundtrack, but not like the Kinks or something that obvious. It was originally written for a Brighton-based children's theatre production, of Alice in Wonderland, so it had to be a little suitable for kids. The soundtrack is also suitable for depictions of mod fashion and rock culture and any story basically with a British post-war setting. So before we get into the meat of it, let's do a brief one-minute breakdown of what to expect for the rest of this episode, starting with the harpsichord. little bit of an unusual choice for a rock song and we'll circle back to that in a minute. Next up, the harp. A little bit of cheating there, doing a chromatic scale like that on a harp. Very difficult to do on the actual instrument and we'll come back to that in a minute. Here's a brief sample of the string section. Because it's a rock song, we've got some guitars in there. Here's a guitar part. And last off, bringing the groove and the energy, the drums. A lot of the work that I get, at least the work that I enjoy the most, is for fictional storytelling. So I work with creators of audio dramas and some film, but mostly on the audio side. I find audio storytelling is way more enjoyable for me personally because it activates my imagination. And after a long day of doing work on a computer, it's quite comforting to be able to close my eyes and just uh, get lost in a good story. But to put a good story together in this age requires a lot of attention to detail. Detail in the dialogue and the script and the sound design and the sound effects and also detail in the music. In fact, the music goes so much further in communicating what the audience should feel in an audio drama or a piece of audio storytelling, which is why I'm so passionate about getting it right and breaking down the composition process into principles. So this podcast, for those of you who've been listening for a while, I'm sure you've come to realize, is about the principles of music composition from my perspective. It's only my perspective. That's why the show is called How I Make Music and not How To Make Music. I'd just like to shed a little light on how I go about things in my profession. 
So let's kick it off. Today we'll start with the harp sounds. Now the harp in this piece only features twice, that is at the beginning and at the end, so it's sort of like a harp sandwich. The opening passage kicks off the track in a pickup measure, sounds like this. And the closing passage, which you've already heard. This was a piece of music for theatre, so that uh, chromatic rundown sort of announces the end of the track quite clearly and uh, states to the audience, all right, we're now on to the next scene or the next moment. So the timing of that was quite important. First we kick it off with the harp, ta-da, fanfare, and then we end it again with the same instrument and nowhere in between does it feature. From the harp over to the harpsichord. Two things. Firstly, what is a harpsichord doing in a rock song? Well, the answer is Golden Brown by The Stranglers. It's one of the most famous examples of harpsichord being used in a rock song. I'll play a snippet for you. I'll get flagged on YouTube, but you guys are worth it. You probably recognize this song, and it was a big influence on Fancy a Stroll, the track we're discussing today. So I wanted to reinforce the vintage aspect of this. I wanted it to sound really old-fashioned and went as far back as the Baroque era to achieve that. But I did cheat, as you so often have to in music production. You see, Baroque-era harpsichords didn't have sustain pedals. A sustain pedal is what allows the music to sound smooth, like a piano, but harpsichords came before pianos. So let me first play you what this harpsichord piece sounded like without the sustain pedal, and then hopefully you'll hear why I decided to risk the wrath of the classical purists and use a sustain pedal on a harpsichord. Listen out for the difference between a smooth sound and a very staccato, stabby sound. Here we go. Now that's really stabby, which is fine, but this section needed to be smoother. So it sounded really janky, kind of like a car trying to start, and I wanted it to sound more smooth and flowing, so I changed it to this. And back to the staccato part. Hopefully you can see the points I'm trying to illustrate. Uh, the staccato nature didn't really suit the song, so I decided to smooth it out artificially. One of the key differences between the modern rock sound and the British rock sound is keyboard instruments. They were far more present back in the 60s. It was more common to use harpsichords, but also organs, mellotrons, and uh, electric keyboards. Orchestral sounds always connect the listener to the past. A big string section is usually reminiscent of some kind of classical music and can be used to create nostalgia. In this piece, once again, I wanted to reinforce the old-fashioned nature of this rock song, and so I included a nice lush string section. We start out with the double bass. Pizzicato, so this replaces the bass guitar in the song. And now we have this lovely glissando low cellos. 
There's a little bit of a cheat, a bowed double bass and some high pizzicato. Tremolando. Alright, so you get the idea. A lovely, beautiful, flowing string section. final high violin line I played myself it's always thrills me when I get an opportunity to play actual instruments on a track and I thought a nice single violin line that I could actually play without it sounding terrible would be fine here it is on its own one more time what makes this part sound like it's so flowy? Well, one of the answers is LA Scoring Strings. LA Scoring Strings is a native instruments library, and it's designed for a lot of things, but one of them is glissando, which is the smooth flowing sound that only fretless stringed instruments can truly pull off. Fretless instruments like the violin, viola, and cello. Let's listen to a brief section again of that nice glissando. the way it moves from one note to another. Here's another example from the cellos. It's truly amazing where we find ourselves now with composition in a digital era, we are able to take these live recordings of actual orchestras performing glissandos and play them on a keyboard like it's the simplest thing in the world. It's a real privilege to have access to these uh, really sophisticated software instruments. There is no bass guitar in this song. The orchestra has usurped it. The contrabass or double bass is actually responsible for all of the low frequency and adding an electric bass guitar just to make it a rock song would really muddy up the, the low end. So I had to decide and in the end the strings won out. So that was an example of thinking in terms of frequencies instead of in terms of uh, instruments. We already had double bass and piano which provide low sounds. There wasn't need for another low sounding instrument. In 20th century music, the more orchestral it sounded, generally the earlier it was because the later instruments like electric guitars and mellotrons hadn't been invented yet. So this song sounds almost like a late 50s, maybe the very earliest whisperings of rock and roll The guitar in the song is also not a blazing, hot um, rock guitar, the type we'd expect from the Kinks. Here's a sample of a soundtrack, a podcast theme that I recently composed for a client in Johannesburg. The reference track was Indie Rock, and here's what I came up with. super loud, in your face, and very much the center of this track. Now let's give the guitars from today's soundtrack a listen. Very little distortion, not a rock guitar sound at all. 
but this bright sounding electric guitar tone was completely new at the time in the 60s. This was a production for kids and there was going to be singing on top of it and I decided to dial back the gain a little bit so as not to make it a blaring rock song uh, like the type you'd expect from the 90s or the 2000s. It was supposed to be uh, what they call a tweed amp which is a very British sound, um, a little bit of reverb on it and it, I think it captures the, the tone of the 1960s, early 1960s rock quite nicely. There's a nice little moment at the end of this guitar part where I do a diminished run downwards. Um, here it is. For those who appreciate music theory, a diminished chord like that acts as a dominant chord. In other words, it creates tension temporarily. Um, it was just a way of adding some color and to kind of close off the track with a little bit of flair rather than just holding on the dominant for four beats. I decided to use a little diminished uh, run down like that, handpicked straight from the gypsy jazz genre. I don't believe in single guitars, so I decided to grab an acoustic guitar and layer it over the electric with a more fluid strumming sound. three parts in this song that are basically all playing the same thing, that is the harpsichord, the guitars, and the piano. Uh, I don't see the need in playing the piano for you on its own now, so I'll just play it along with the other two so you can get a sense of this uh, three-part harmonic backing to the lead melody. The lead melody is one that you don't hear because this is a backing track for theatre, so the, the singer, the performer, was singing the lead melody. This is all harmony. Here we go with the harmony instruments. Nice bold piano coming through there. And here we have our little staccato and here's legato. So that served the needs of the harmony and on the rhythm side we have a drum kit. accompanied by tambourine. A lot of emphasis on the snare. So the drums taking way more of a secondary role for a rock context. Usually the drums are really up close and really up the front and center. And I thought let's rather just treat them almost like jazz drums, which plays a lot more emphasis on um, sparseness in the rhythm and uh, variation in the dynamics, so loud and soft sounds rather than everything just being loud. The instrumentation in this track was intended to break the stereotype of the traditional stereotypical swinging 60s track. I didn't want to emulate the kinks, I didn't want it to be 100% sound alike, so I decided to include stranger instruments like the harp and the harpsichord. Um, also, once again, to reinforce the theatrical nature of the piece. 
one last point before we finish, which is the way that this track ends. magical, a little mysterious. So there are a few things going on here. I've layered a few different um, devices or um, what, what could you call them? Um, methods. Um, let me explain. This piece was written for theatre and the brief was to end the piece in a way that suggests the start of the next scene. So the usage of the piece informed the composition quite heavily. Now at the end of this track, we launch off into the next scene and I needed to really, really signal that, really communicate that very clearly to the audience. Even though they were just kids, I take this very seriously, I'm sure you've noticed. I wanted to create a deliberate start point for whatever comes next and to break the tonality and to, to break with what you've just been listening to for the last three minutes. So I used two devices. One is a ritardando, which is a slowdown, and the other one is a new chord used for the first time. These devices, gimmicks, or methods, or tricks, whatever you want to call them, uh, they're very useful for announcing your intentions very clearly to the listener. In my mind, these kinds of tricks include key changes, tempo changes, new chords used for the first time, new instrumentation used for the first time. These can all signal a change in how the listener should feel. And that's it for this episode of How I Make Music. We'll listen to the full track in just a moment, but before we do that, thank you so much for listening to How I Make Music. Catch new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can download the track from this episode, Fancy a Stroll, from the music page on my website, johnbartman.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-R-T-M-A-N-N.com. I believe this one also has separate stems, so you can have the separates for this track too. I encourage you to use this track in your own podcast, audio drama, audio fiction, storytelling, or video production. Find links to me on Twitter and YouTube in the show notes. I love hearing from you guys, so search for How I Make Music on YouTube and leave your comments on the show. And now here's Fancy a Stroll, a 1960s orchestrally-themed theater backing piece, which I wrote for a theater company in Brighton, in its entirety. Catch you next week. Mm -hmm.